Boy, am I glad that you're a part of this conversation we're having regarding an understanding about the blessed Holy Spirit. He has revealed himself to us through a variety of word pictures or metaphors in the Bible. He is the breath of God. He is the wind of God. He is the anointing oil. He is the one who intercedes for us when we pray. One of the ways that he presents himself is perhaps the most dynamic picture, and that is the fire of heaven. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to serve as fire of heaven? What did it mean then? What does it mean today? And how might it make a difference in my life? May the Lord help us to answer those questions. Let's pray together, and then we'll get to work. O great and masterful King, you have chosen in your grace to enter our world in the form of a baby, to be born in a manger, and to live on this earth, and then to die for our sins, and then to be raised from the dead, and now we believe heavenly presence of hope. You sit forever at the right hand of the Father, and you have released and commissioned your Holy Spirit to continue the work that you began. We thank you, Father, for the miracle of Pentecost. We thank you, blessed Savior, for the story to tell. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would choose to tell it through us. Our speaker is in need of forgiveness. His sins are many. Help us to see Christ, just Christ. Through Christ we pray, amen. Let's begin with this passage from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 38. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What in the world has gotten into Peter? 
What in the world has given him the courage and the ability to stand up in front of a large crowd in Jerusalem and speak with such boldness and confidence? Why, just seven weeks ago, he was hiding because of Jesus, and now he's proclaiming salvation through Jesus. In the hours before the cross, he denied Christ, and now he announces Christ. On the eve of Good Friday, you couldn't get him to speak up, but today, on Pentecost, you can hardly get him to shut up. What got into Peter? You might remember he was a coward at the crucifixion, a kind coward, but a coward nonetheless. A question from a, serv- a, question from a servant girl undid him. He wasn't bludgeoned by any soldier. The, the Sanhedrin didn't browbeat him. Rome didn't threaten to export him. No, there was this this waitress from a downtown diner who overheard him talking and recognized his accent and said, I think I've seen you with the one called Jesus. Peter panicked. Meltdown. He not only denied Christ, but he bleeped the very idea. Then Peter began to place a curse on himself and swear, I don't know the man. He didn't want anybody to to know that he knew Christ. And yet, here he is on the day of Pentecost, declaring to a throng of thousands of people that God has made this Jesus, the man you nailed to the cross, both Lord and Christ. How many of you would think that's gutsy language? I mean, that's enough to incite a lynch mob, the same crowd that 50 days earlier shouted, crucify him, could crucify him. Peter went from wimp to warrior in seven weeks. What happened? Well, we'd love to know. We applaud the Pentecost, Peter, but we can sure relate to the Passover one. We know what it's like to battle fear. We know what it's like to feel insecure. We want to help people. We want to encourage people. And we might even aspire to speak with the boldness of Peter about what God has done for us. We aren't called to preach the first ever gospel sermon, but we have people we love. We have we have children we cherish. We have, we have parents who don't know the God that we've come to know. And yet when it comes to talking about faith and when it comes to articulating this great love of God, we, we worry, what if I misspeak? What if I misstep? And consequently, we don't speak at all. It is toward that fear that Jesus was speaking as he gave this, one of the final commands he gave his followers. He told them, wait here, speaking of Jerusalem, to receive the promise from the Father I told you about. John baptized people with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so 120 of them obeyed. They went into the upper room. A numbered in the gathering would be all the apostles minus Judas plus Matthias, 
the replacement. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, as were the brothers of Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah. I would think Mary of Magdalene might have been there, Joanna and Susanna, who followed Jesus and supported his ministry. No doubt they were part of the charter members of the church. Jesus sent them to Jerusalem. He told them, wait there. And they went and they waited. Now, they did not know for how long they were going to wait. A day, a decade, they did not know. Nor did they know exactly on what they were waiting. They, they knew they were waiting on the Holy Spirit, but in what form? In what manner? Could they have imagined what would happen? Look at this. Tongues of fire came their way. And the story begins with Luke, who recorded it, saying this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they have obeyed what Christ told them. They're in one place. The day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the Pentecost day is one of those days that every Hebrew or Jewish male was required to be a part of wherever he lived in the world at least one time in his life. Some estimate that the city of Jerusalem would swell from a population from, of 100,000 to about a million people uh, during the days of, of Pentecost. They came from all over the then known world. Jews would come from Persia, and Medes would come with their long curled beards and their thick plaited hair. Poor Jews from Arabia in simple robes, those proud Jews would come from Rome, from Rome in their togas. A dozen dialects bounced off the city walls, and coins from every currency jingled in the purses of the merchants. The city of David hummed with activity. You see, the divine timing was precise. Now with the sacrifice of Christ accomplished, now with the tomb of Christ vacated, now with the person of Christ ascended to the throne, now with the apostles gathered in one place in prayer awaiting the power of the Spirit, now with representatives from at least 15 nations gathered in one spot, it was time. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of, us, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. You could wear out a highlighter on that paragraph. So many phrases deserve your attention. Please note, tongues of fire came upon each one of them, men and women, sons and daughters, separated and sat upon each one of them. And the consequence, the immediate consequence of the miracle of the Holy Spirit is that people from all over the world heard their own language being spoken. They heard their own language being spoken. What a moment this must have been. 
to have heard Andrew declaring the goodness of God in the tongue of the Egyptians, Thomas recounting the miracles of Christ in the dialect of the Cappadocians, Mary, the mother of Jesus, describing the birth of Jesus to a group from Crete in the language of their land. Some in the crowd were cynical. They accused the disciples of early morning inebriation, but others were amazed and they asked this great question, Whatever could this mean? There's the question. Whatever could this mean, this Pentecost miracle? Crowded city, prayerful followers, rushing wind and falling fire, 15 nations gathered in one assembly, disciples speaking like trained translators from the United Nations. Whatever could this mean? It must mean at least this. The Holy Spirit empowers Christ's followers to speak the heart languages of the world. The Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers Christ's followers to speak the heart languages of the world. Because of the Holy Spirit, these unschooled, ordinary men and women, as they're described in Acts 4.13, were able to speak in languages they had never studied. In impact nations, they had never and most likely would never visit. Fire fell from heaven and melted the ice of about 3,000 hearts. That's how many people were baptized that day. And so I think the question for us is, do you think God's will has changed for his church. Best I can tell, a promise that Jesus gave all of us has not been rescinded. He said, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. How would you like to be a curator of the presence of the Holy Spirit, empowered to speak in such a way that it touches people's hearts? Now we could use so many examples, people as examples of this promise. We could talk about Billy Graham as an example, the simple son of a North Carolina dairy farmer who spoke to over a billion people in his lifetime. We could tell the story of Charles Spurgeon, this 18th century preacher from London, declared God's word in such a manner that Many people still read his sermons today. Mother Teresa is an example, scarcely five foot tall, yet she towered over the orators of her generation. We could talk about legends like Graham and Spurgeon and Mother Teresa, but I'd rather prove the power of the Holy Spirit to empower his saints by telling you the story of Brenda Jones. On the day she went to see the plastic surgeon, she was in a battle with breast cancer. And the purpose of the consultation was to discuss breast reconstruction. And yet she did what she so often did, she changed the topic and she wanted to tell her doctor what Jesus had done for her. Brenda asked if she could share a story and Dr. Pete politely said yes and she 
proceeded to talk to him about her hope for heaven. She didn't want to die, she explained, but death was a necessary step for her to move from this life to the next, and, and she was so excited about the next life. Dr. Pete was intrigued. He was at the top of his professional ladder, but he was discovering that the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. He crossed his arms and he listened. He listened to Brenda tell the story about the God who became a baby and then a man and then a sacrifice for humanity. And then she leaned across and looked at him in the eyes and said, he died for you, doctor. Here was a frail, diseased woman talking to a highly educated, nationally recognized surgeon telling him of all things about his sin and his need for a savior. That 15-minute conversation changed Pete forever. I baptized him soon thereafter on a cold January day, Pete Ledoux. Brenda died a few years later, but her words live on to this day. The Holy Spirit empowers saints to tell the story of God in a compelling way. And then there is the story of a Brazilian pastor by the name of Antenor Gonçalves. He has served a congregation in Itu, not far from Sao Paulo, Brazil, for well over two decades. I've heard him preach in English and in Portuguese. I could listen to him preach for hours. But he would have no story to tell were it not for the story of a chalkboard on a porch. His father saw it each and every day on the way to work. You see, Antonor's dad took the train to the city every morning and got off the train and walked a couple of miles to his office in Sao Paulo. And his commute took him through a modest neighborhood. A certain homeowner in that neighborhood had, of all things, turned his porch into a billboard of sorts by placing a chalkboard on the porch. And each morning, this homeowner wrote a different Bible verse on the chalkboard. And each morning, Mr. Gonsalves would pause to read the scripture of the day. Mr. Gonsalves was not a Christian. But little by little, the unspoken words on the chalkboard began to touch his heart. Words like these. Let's see if I can still do this. It's been 30 years. Porque Deus amou o mundo de tal maneira que deu o seu filho unigênito para que todo aquele que nele creia não pareça, mas tenha a vida eterna. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish might have, but have, eternal life. Little by little, verses like this began to touch the life of Mr. Gonsalves. And finally, one day, 
the chalkboard got a hold of him, or better said, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he knocked on the door. And a conversation led to a Bible study, led to a visit at a church. Antonor, the preacher I told you about, was just a boy at the time, but his life was forever rerouted because somebody said, well, I can at least write a Bible verse on a chalkboard. So God used a chalkboard to change this young man's life, and God used a second-string quarterback to touch mine. (laughs) Mike and I played on the same football team. More specifically, we sat on the same bench. People ask me, what position did you play in football? I said, I played self-back because the coach would always say, get yourself back on the bench. (laughs) Mike was the quarterback. I was the backup center. We sat on the bench. We did what backups do. We stood on the sidelines and held onto our helmets. And we did what teenage boys tend to do. And in that case, we did the opposite of what Christian boys should be doing. Mike had an excuse, though. He was not a Christian. I was. But you wouldn't have known it had you known me. But then something happened. Mike met Pam. Pam knew Christ. Mike fell in love with Pam. Mike fell in love with Christ. And Mike began to change. I noticed he treated people differently. He was at peace with himself. There was a happy soberness about him in more ways than one. He had respect for his teachers. You know, Mike never never said very many words to me about Jesus, but then again, he, he spoke to me every day with his spirit of peace, kindness, Genuine interest. At first, I, I chalked up his, his, his new behavior to being in love with Pam. But even in the times when they would break up, they've been married 40 years now, by the way. But even in the times in which they would break up, he never lost that spirit about him. A few years later, five years later, to be precise, when I was trying to make a decision as to whether or not I could follow Christ. The example of Mike came to mind and gave me the courage I needed to make the decision I needed to make. How do we explain the impact of people like this? A spoken word to a doctor, a scribbled message on a chalkboard, the contagious example of a friend. Would you call these advanced developed techniques of persuasion? Nor would I. I would say there's really only one explanation for their effectiveness, and that is the promise of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit takes our tongues of flesh and he renders them tongues of fire. And I'm wondering if he might be desirous of doing the same with us. Can I close with this question? What is your language? 
What is your language? You speak a language nobody else speaks. There's something unique to your world experience that no one else has ever had. You are the only you this world has ever seen. You have had an encounter with God unlike any other person in the history of the world. Would you be willing to share it? I heard that groan. I detect that reservation for people Many people, many good, God-fearing, Christ-following people, the conversation they dread the most to have with somebody else is a conversation about faith. They would rather memorize the book of Leviticus (laughs) than open their mouth and try to articulate what God has done for them. They come by their fear honestly enough. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I get asked a question and I don't know the answer? What if I can't find that Bible verse? I don't think I have what it takes to do it. Can I reframe that? Can I challenge that hesitation by saying, yes, you do. You have a tongue of fire over your head. You have a tongue of fire over your head. And what got into Peter is he who has gotten into you. And you have exactly what you need. You have, hang on now, you have an Ebenezer. No, I'm not talking about some Charles Dickens character. I'm referring to your personal Ebenezers. Your scrapbook of only God moments events in your life that only God could have orchestrated. We find this word Ebenezer in the Old Testament. It's such a great word. You might remember that this was the word given to the the children of Israel because they kept forgetting how good God had been to them. Remember how God led them out of the Egyptian bondage? How he gave them manna every day? How he led them through the wilderness with fire? how he led them through the wilderness with a cloud in the sky, how he gave them clothing and sandals that didn't wear out. But you let one one problem surface and they take a vote to go back to Egypt. Why, you're not gonna believe this, but there was one time they melted down their earrings and their rings and turned it into a calf and began worshiping the calf. Really? They kept forgetting what God had done for them. So over the generations, they developed these memory devices to help them remember. One of these memory devices was called an Ebenezer. After one particularly successful military campaign and spiritual revival, they said, we're not gonna forget this time. And they erected stones as a statue And it was an Ebenezer. It was a place where they could take their friends and they could take neighboring nations, people who would pass through, would say, why are those stones stacked? What's the purpose of that statue? And they would say, oh, that reminds us of the miracle that God did among us. And they could show it to their children and their grandchildren. It was like a a testimony to God's goodness. 
And so I'd just like to ask you, what if, what if you got very familiar with your Ebenezer moments? Those only God moments. As you look back over your spiritual life, do you not see some moments in which only God could have done that? Only God could have brought about that breakthrough. Only God could have granted you that job. Only God could have answered that prayer. There's your story. There it is. And what if you just got so happy about those moments that whenever somebody asked you, you said, well, let me, let me tell you what God did for me. One occasion, Jesus healed a man in a cemetery. This man had made a mess out of his life. He was demon-possessed. He was cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus healed him, this man wanted to go with Jesus, understandably so. He wanted to go with Jesus wherever Jesus went. But look what Jesus told him. Jesus said, you go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you you can do that you can do that I'm speaking on behalf of your friends I'm speaking on behalf of those in your workplace I'm speaking on behalf of those down the street and I'm saying to you what they don't know to say to you but that is would you just tell me what God has done for you would you help me understand this peace that you have would you just let me flip through that scrapbook of moments in your life because I so desire those in mine. And whenever that hesitation appears in your heart, you remember the day of Pentecost and how the same Holy Spirit gave normal, common, ordinary, unschooled men and women the power to speak in ways that they themselves had never imagined you see God's plan is still the same ordinary folks like you and me telling the extraordinary story of Christ with the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit a friend of mine who works with missionaries in India told me some time ago the story of a, a missionary by the name of Linus He's native to the country, but was sent to a different part of India where persecution was severe. And as he began to preach, people began to come to Christ. But as people began to come to Christ, the enemies began to notice. And one night, there was a knock on the door of Linus, the missionary. And when he opened the door, there were the police. And they were ready to persecute him for what he had been doing telling others about Christ. And they asked, them the question, asked him the question, now by what authority do you do these things? Well, that question, well, it made Linus think about a verse in the Bible. And so he excused himself and went and fetched a New Testament. And he came back and he opened that Bible to the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew and he began to read to them the words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Well, the officer didn't know scripture, and so he began writing down notes on Jesus and the authority that Jesus had. Linus continued to read, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, the officer continued to write these words in his, in his investigation notebook, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so Linus said, I'm here under the authority of Jesus Christ. The officer said he would take that report back to those over him and tell them by what authority Linus was doing his work. And from that point on, they left Linus alone. And to this very day, he's able to preach not only with freedom, but often with the protection of the police because he is there in the authority of Jesus Christ. As you go into your week, wherever you go, my friend, you go in the authority of Jesus Christ. You're a part of the priesthood. You're an ambassador of Christ. And so when you go on the work or you board that flight or you head into the schoolroom or you sit down by somebody, every time you open your mouth, every time you speak, you can't see it, but there's a tongue of fire over your head. And that tongue of fire will take these tongues of flesh and empower you to speak the heart language of someone else. It's not up to you. It wasn't Peter who did it. It was the Holy Spirit who did it. It's not we who do it. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. It is Christ who speaks through us. Amen. Lord, grant then that we could just be your servants. And we stand against that spirit of fear and we lean into the promise of provision that you will take these words of ours and deposit them into the hearts of people. Through Christ we pray. And all God's people said,